Hey guys, I'm Jillian Tara, and you're listening to Chasing Fashion. Hey guys, welcome back. Today's interview is with Alyssa Lesser, the designer behind Rad Made in USA denim brand Alyssa Less. I hope you guys enjoy. Well, first of all, I have to say I love I love what you do. Thank I think it's you. great. Like I really am just like so happy to see you growing as like because the denim industry is all these massive players, you know. Yes. And I think slowly and slowly it's becoming like more democratic and like mm-hmm. it's really great to see like young talent emerging and yeah. It's pretty cool because I feel like, um, I feel like there were, it was only major brands in denim and then like, I don't know, five or six of us literally all popped up at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like we must've all felt like, yeah, there was room to do something different and we all, all these brand, like specialty denim brands like launched literally at the same time. That's crazy. But we're all still doing things that are very different from one another, which is really cool. Is like there's so much room in the industry to like do a lot of different yeah. stuff that no one's been doing. Um, okay, so so I guess yeah. How did you start doing? How did I start this? And honestly, even more specifically, denim. Also, yeah. like I'm I'm interested in what it is that yeah. led you to that. So I've always been interested in denim. I've like you know sketched denim pieces, but I never like went super into it. Okay. Um, Did you focus on that in Parsons? I didn't. And what's what's really funny, like in retrospect of all of this, is like for my thesis at Parsons, I did. I was focused a lot on print and textile design when I was there. So my background's in that too. Um, Cool, yeah. So I was really into like developing prints and embroideries and and all that jazz. Um, And so your thesis collection from Parsons is supposed to be like kind of what you're most passionate about. So I did like uh, high-end, like upper contemporary young designer ready to wear and I made like a lot of prints and like embroideries and lace techniques and stuff. And in my initial sketchbook, I I did some knitwear too and I did a lot of jewelry. And I had wanted to make a pair of jeans. And I remember my teacher at the time was like, and they were, would have been super labor intensive. And he was like, I don't think fashion is going in this labor intensive direction. Oh my God, that's so funny. Um, Like, I, I don't think you should do these. I don't think they're modern right now. And uh, wow. and now more people are like leaning back more towards like the artistry and stuff like that. What's funny is like, so my exact idea, like there's another young designer that like pursued this idea oh, really? like recently. And then oh Levi's has made it too. My idea was basically to have like a bunch of frayed strips, but mm-hmm. the whole pant is like frayed. Okay. So it ends up being this like fluffy frame texture over the whole pant. Yeah, but it's funny I didn't do it, and like that's now it's so relevant have done right now. It. Oh my god, that's crazy. Yeah. So it's it's just kind of funny how that happened. So like I didn't touch denim. Okay. And then um, I started this ready to wear line. Uh, it was called Scotuson. Uh, Scotuson. Yes. Oh, cool. That's an interesting name. Yeah, it was like an old word that meant to be intentionally obscure oh I love that yeah (laughs) that's really cool so a friend of mine and I did it and we did like full ready to wear line 
and we uh, saw this vintage jacket that had like an embossing technique on it that we thought was the coolest thing we'd ever seen and we wanted to like make some pieces of it um so that was the first time i made denim uh so her and i kind of like developed a couple of samples now is that when you started the embossed denim yes but how i do it with my line now is completely different than how her and i were trying to do it okay um so like we tried to basically replicate the way it was done in the 80s but put it all over a garment and it was super duper like insane so the way they used to do it in the 80s was like they would literally emboss things and then fill them with rubber oh my god um and they would do it that sounds so heavy yeah, well, some people still do it, but it's like they do one thing and they do it on like hats or the back of a jacket okay. and like one little thing so you can handle that weight. But to do it like a lot of it on mm-hmm. a garment is just like doesn't work for so many reasons. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I mean, like you have it on your pants, right? The knees. Yeah. Like, if you have a lot of like rubber injected there like that, yeah, it's like so it's the worst. It's the worst. So we made these really cool samples, okay. and people were like really into them, but we like couldn't produce them. <laughs> and so it was, when you first started, were you guys like doing it yourself, um, trying to replicate this, or did you have like it done yeah, with manufacturing? Uh, we had like we hired this crazy production assistant guy in LA and we went to LA for like three weeks because everyone was like huh and then you guys like figured it out there yeah because everyone was like you literally cannot make denim in New York which is almost it's not 100% true but it's very Mm -hmm. difficult to make here so um we figured it out and we made these samples that like looked great but were totally like unproducible unmanufacturable like oh my god everything <laughs> um and so that line ended up kind of dissolving we both like wanted to go in different directions mm-hmm. and um I remember talking to her after we had shown our first collection and I wanted to put more denim in because I was like th- that those pieces were really getting noticed yeah and I was like people like this there's room for this no one else in the industry is making like really cool denim right now yeah seriously and she was like I don't want to be a denim designer and like we we very much strayed in different directions so like that line dissolved in a crazy way and then she went off to like start her own line and then I was like immediately was like I have to pursue this yeah because like you go into a store you go into like barney's for example and at least at the time there was tons and tons of like great contemporary ready to wear designer ready to wear and great like basic jeans but i didn't Mm -hmm. see anything at all that had the same level of detail attached to it that designers were putting into it everything else and it was like why so true yeah, like why typical does this J brands like just very like yeah they just simple. don't do it. Um, and I really wanted to 
build a collection that was like super tight, great, easy to wear pieces, but that had like really, really cool techniques in them um, that were like essentially fashion pieces, but they were also denim. Okay. Um, and I just like thought, you know, this will be so cool to approach denim as a non-denim designer. Because yeah, totally. Like you just fall into it. It's yeah. like one of those success stories. Yeah, because you know? as a as a textile nerd and a jewelry person, there's all these things that I want to do, and to have this whole world of pre-existing fabrics and silhouettes that I can apply that to was the most exciting thing for me. It's like a blank canvas. Yes. It's nice too because like your background really shines through, you know, with the laser cutting. Yeah. And then the embossing, like that's a technique that's manipulating the fabric. Yeah. So then I spent like over a year developing it to be actually produced. Um, So what we do now is there's a lot of embroidery involved, so the pieces are really light and like everything's producible. And um, it took me a really long time to figure that out and to get it done right because like so like built up embroidery of the shape underneath. Yeah, essentially. Okay. Um, and it took a really long time. The first people I hired to do it like didn't do the work and like fucked me over. So I had like two-thirds of a year of development like oh I had to start over oh my god yeah it was awful <laughs> and that sucks yeah I was in New York and I tried to hire people in LA to do stuff while I was in New York and they didn't to do like it. manage the whole process yeah and they didn't do anything and I had to go out to LA after like months that I was supposed to launch in 2014 okay I launched a year after I was initially supposed to launch and like the collection was supposed to be done and they hadn't done anything. Mm-hmm. So you like went expecting to see samples? Yeah. I and went, then you're like, what is this? Yeah, I went to LA and I ended up staying out there for like three months. I was supposed to initially go for two and a half weeks. Oh my like, God. Wow. Airbnb, staying on friends' couches, going into this factory every day, trying to get these guys to do the work and when it became clear they weren't doing it, I like pulled out and started over. Like they were awful. The pattern maker they were working with was terrible. All this stuff that they were supposed to do. Damn. Yeah. And um, I got a couple of initial samples and then I like pulled it and was like, I have to do this on my own. Jeez. Wow. So I, I found like another production consultant who kind of led me to factories and pattern makers. That's great. Yeah, but we kind of winged it together. I feel like that's how some like great stuff happens though. Yeah, yeah, so it was a lot of of work and it took a while. But then like once, um, I worked into just five silhouettes, the first collection, and I was like, I wanna do these five pieces that I think are like updated classics in a denim wardrobe and do really cool shit to them. Um, so once we got those down, like we had it. Yeah. And then there was just like a lot of trial and error, like switching fabrics and with denim. After the first season? Or do you mean during the the first development? During the first development still. Like 
I wasn't working with mills yet. I was okay. working with like local oh, denim like... suppliers, jobbers basically. Yeah. They would get extra rolls of denim from the mills and then they would run out of a fabric and then I couldn't get it anymore. I mean, that's what you got to do, right? You have to be scrappy when Mm -hmm. you're first starting. (laughs) But then with denim, every time the fabric changes, the pattern has to change because the shrinkage changes every time you pull a different fabric. So like it was all this stuff that I didn't really know anything about. And I was just like testing and learning and making tons of mistakes. Um, But like we did it. And then we shot the collection and um, my parents had given me like a small loan to do it. And we were like, okay, let's put this out and see if anyone like cares about it basically. That's great. (laughs) Yeah, like we'll put this out and see if it goes anywhere. And if it doesn't, like cool, you tried and like you'll go work for another company and you'll be fine. And you look so much better for actually taking that leap. Yeah, and then like if it does go anywhere, we'll deal with it (laughs) and we didn't I love that yeah I like thought people would care about it but I didn't know how far I'd be able to get yeah um and so I like just started like we did a lookbook I started emailing it to people and like um started getting meetings with like the stores that I wanted to be in and like press people that I never thought would talk to me. <laughs> so were you reaching out to the press or yeah. they found you? No, I I reached out to people. Because um, you have some good press. Yeah, I've, I've done it. I just started working with a PR firm very recently. Okay. But up until less than a year ago, I was doing everything myself. Wow. Um, and I'm not even working with that firm anymore, so I'm still kind of doing it on my own. Yeah, it's crazy because I didn't know that I could do anything like I didn't know I could do it but I didn't have money to hire someone so I was like I just have to fucking try yeah and like I was I was shocked my mom is like my investor and partner kind of in all of this and we were like what (laughs) like and and I was um babysitting at the time like just to make some extra cash yeah totally while I was doing this and I remember one day I had like a meeting at Harper's and then oh my god that's great like lugged my collection there and then like went to a babysitting job right afterwards and I was so like, you have like the glam life and then you got to go like babysit afterwards <laughs> yeah and it's like it's still very much that way but it was just kind of funny um but yeah people like started people cared about it um I think Assembly was the first store to pick it up, which was really cool. Not bad. Yeah, Greg was really excited about it. Um, He's the owner. Mm -hmm. And um, he picked it up, and then I can't remember if someone else picked it up. A couple of people were like, we're interested in this. We want to see it. I showed it in LA and then um, Satine, which used to be this like really great store, picked I it up. Heard of that. They closed. They're in LA. Yeah, they're in LA. They were like a really fantastic store um, that was around for a while and they closed last year, which mm. was super sad because they were like great. They have the best stuff. Um, 
So I had like a couple of stores and I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to produce this now. And then like... Were you like panicking? Because I mean, it's one thing making the samples, but then you have to like make all the orders. Yeah. I was panicked, but I was like, I know I can do this because going into the samples, I built everything knowing that we would need to produce it. Okay. So that's why it took me so long to develop the first season because yeah. I was like, this has to be recreatable yeah, totally. in a manner that's going to be somewhat cost effective, X, Y, and Z, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I like set it up to do that. So going into production wasn't actually like that scary for me. Because I knew. I mean, you spent so much time working with the factories to begin with. You guys probably were like you'd already been through this. Mm, Yeah, I mean, I did. I switched factories when I went into production, um, and we had issues in production that hadn't been anticipated, which always happens. But Mm, um, it wasn't like that bad. Okay. Um, It just took a while. Everything always takes like way longer than Than you you think. Yeah. Anticipate. yeah, so then, like, um, I had those orders. I had met with a bunch of cool press people, but they didn't write anything about it. And then... Um, so they just took a look at the collection, and they were like, this yeah, looks good. Yeah, and I was... Uh, which is totally normal part of the process, but at the time, I was so stoked to, like, get these meetings. Of course. Um, and then I met with... Um, like a bunch of big magazines and then um, yeah I saw you were like on Vogue.com yeah so Vogue was ended up being the first first guys to write about the line wow you must have been like pissing your pants yeah I was really excited it was like this is the first like real thing to write about it and it's like a really the most legit people to be writing about it and I was so happy um and I like literally did the interview with them I was like on a train taking the collection to stores between Seattle and Vancouver and I was just like hoofing it um and that was really funny um so like like, so real though yeah a lot of times you'll see people just like in their perfect life on Vogue, but like, it's just like very real. Yeah, almost everyone in this industry has a lot more money than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been like very real about that since the beginning, and it's always been like, how can we do this on the most budget possible? Yeah. Which ends up being like me schlepping everything around yeah. all the time. I mean, it's a bitch, but it is inspiring, though, you know? Like, yeah. to know that... Because you always hear money, 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 money. You always need money. And, like, obviously you do. But you if do. you're approaching this with less money than a lot of other people and you're making it work, that's yeah. great. You can definitely get started on a budget. After that, it becomes really, really tough. And I'm just to sustain it. Yeah, I'm in a phase right now where like we are searching for funding and we have to get it because you need a lot, a lot of money. You get to a point where you're like, oh, it's a real brand. Yeah. It's not this thing I'm just doing 
It's not like a project. Yeah, I'm not like a kid just doing this thing. I mean, I still feel like a kid, but there's real people involved. We have to get a PR showroom to do this full time. We're selling in real, real mm-hmm. national big stores. <laughs> and like Yeah, you want you gotta keep it going. Yeah. And it's no pressure. Need, yeah, and you hit an inflection point where you're just like, okay, this is real. We need to put real money behind it. Yeah. And and I think that's like a challenge for a lot of people don't even start because they know that. And I was like so naive when I started. I was like, I can beat it. I don't need a ton of money to do this. I can just use what I have and like hustle really, really hard. And I'll just hustle harder than everyone else hustles because I don't have as much money. And like that becomes the case Mm -hmm. and has, has always been the case. But then you hit a point where like no amount of hustling. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But um, it's good. I mean, it's been good. So So then as like a young designer who obviously has obstacles, um, what are some ways that you think maybe the industry can like change to help support young designers? I mean, this is a big debate that's always going on now. Yeah. The industry is actually terrible for young brands. And like, yeah. there are very few, I'm, I'm not going to like sugarcoat this or pretend that it's a better situation than it is, but there are very, very few people out there that are trying to help young designers. The CFDA tries, um, and there's, there's a few more things coming out, um, but there's always been this attitude in the fashion industry of like, well, we had to go through hell to get here, so you have to go through the same hell. Yeah. Everyone's going through it, but the industry and technology and everything has changed so much that it costs a lot more to do it now than it used to. There's a lot more things that you need Mm -hmm. than anyone used to need, and the industry is essentially like, screwing itself over by not nurturing new talent Um, yeah I mean the people who are at the top can only be there so long yeah so it's it's a bad situation for everyone because like a good example is what's happening with retail Um, like these these big stores are essentially shooting themselves in the feet because they're not making money, right? They're not making money because people aren't shopping and people aren't shopping because they're bored with these stores. Everyone and like, it's an experience. Yeah, and these stores are not picking up, they're too scared to pick up new brands. So because they're not picking up like the new cool stuff, their customers are going elsewhere to find it. That's why That's like- crazy. It's yeah. baffling sometimes. You walk yeah. into like, like a Bloomingdale's, right? Mm-hmm. And they they don't have like any men's streetwear or anything like mm-hmm. that. Like it's just so cut and dry. Like they'll have Theory and Vince and like that's as cool as it gets. Yeah. And that's why some like these online retailers are kicking ass right now because they're and and there's there's still hurdles you gotta jump through to get picked up by them yeah. for sure. 
It's not something that happens at the beginning of your career, but they have been quicker to adapt to new product than the department stores have. And that's why people are shopping on those platforms, um, aside from like a lot of other things, but mm -hmm. that is like a real thing that's going on or people are um, shopping more at some of the boutiques that have like the great boutiques. The great selection. Yeah, that have the stuff that they wanna buy because no one wants to, to have the same stuff that everyone else has. Yeah. Um, so you just go into these stores that used to have really cool stuff and they're just kind of have like boring assortments. And um, so like, that's crazy. These department stores could be nurturing new brands and working together yeah. with us to, we could all be making money together. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it doesn't hurt them to put like, another designer out on the floor that's gonna sell yeah like I guess it's more upfront costs for them but they always end up doing better than the designer anyway yeah. by waiting they to just pay them yeah they just don't and they don't want to take the risk and that's it's fair like it's a fair risk but you have to take risks in especially in this industry and if you're too risk averse like your customers are gonna walk over to the store that did take the risks yeah. and, and buy that stuff because everyone wants like newness right now. So that's like a big thing. Mm -hmm. um, retailers, I think, should be working with young designers a lot more than they do. Um, that could help a lot of people. Um, and yeah, there's just like very few opportunities for, um, funding in this industry I always say that I should have become like a movie maker I should have satisfied a different creative itch that I had because in other industries it's a lot easier to find funding than it is in this one um, and just cheaper I think in general like yes. to produce things yeah you know I was talking to a photographer and he's like you know, it's expensive, you have to, like, get a set, blah, 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 blah. But then he's like, but by no means, making clothes is so much more expensive. He has all these yeah. designer friends, and he's like, I'm overwhelmed. But then he's like, oh, my God, I had no idea. It's like... Yeah, it's crazy. You know, all you need really is an iPhone now, because they're so great to, like, create yeah. content. And, mm -hmm. like, it's insane. Yeah, and so there's a lot of other industries that do a really good job. Filmmaking is one of them of like bringing up young talent and sponsoring mm -hmm. young talent or having resources to fundraise. Um, yeah, it's true. In the film industry, if you make a knockout first film, there's people lining up to invest to pay for your next project. In fashion, you birth a collection in the same way that someone releases a film and you immediately got to start making the next one and there's no one helping you financially <laughs> to do yeah. that uh, and you have to make your production on top of that so like there's a lot of places people could be stepping in and they're not um, it would make sense for big brands to work with smaller guys and like invest and pool their resources and people yeah. aren't really doing it and I'm kind of surprised like if, if 
for example, if I was the owner of a giant denim brand, Mm -hmm. it would make a lot of financial sense to come in and invest in someone like me because they have already in-house factories, pattern makers, sewers, relationships with the mills, and they can produce what I'm doing for Mm -hmm. half the cost that it's costing me, and then everyone makes more money. Yeah, well, and then they're also associated with you, Mm -hmm. freshness. It's like Google does that. Yeah. Or like all those big tech companies. Yeah, tech companies. Like know? they're all doing it. This there's industry. There's so much we some, can learn from them. Yeah, for some reason is just, there's a couple of people that do it. I think there's Andrew this, Rosen is obviously like yeah. the biggest one, but there should be hundreds of Andrew Rosens and yeah, there totally. aren't. I think Macy's has linked up with, um, it's this online retailer. They help you with the production. They like handle all the production and everything. That's great. So they're like all about nurturing young designers and they have yeah. it up on the platform. Um, I think you have to obviously pay them though. I don't think that they're like helping support you. But, yeah, probably. But still to have all these resources pulled together yeah, that's is amazing. really great. But have you yeah. heard of the 19th Amendment? I think I have. I think that's, is that the website where you like people submit their designs or something and then they choose things to produce or something? I think they might have something along the lines of that. I don't know. I've seen that model before where like yeah. people have to bid on if they like something yeah. and if it should be made. Be something kind but of like that. I don't know. They have it's something really cool interesting though. going on. But then at the same time, I don't quite think that it's like enough. Because I don't know yeah. how much it's really helping the designer in the yeah. real world. Because like I think a lot of students right out of school will like go and do stuff with them. They have the money and they kind of like mm-hmm. guide them. But I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. know that it's enough. You can also get destroyed by working with a too large of a retailer too soon. It it destroys yeah. a lot of people. Um, yeah. Like so, it's not a hundred percent. The best thing in the world but there's a million ways that it can be done that like would make sense for everyone and the fact that no one's even trying to do this is nuts to me um it's crazy yeah so then it's when sad. it's sad is that what you said yeah it's sad. Sad. it is it is sad it is sad i feel like there are a bunch of other like cities out there who are doing good things to try and nurture their youth yeah and it's like I don't know. It definitely feels like the door is shut for the mm-hmm. youth a lot of times. Yeah. Um, so when you're getting ready, I guess at the end of every season, when you're moving into market week, is that what you're doing? So from the beginning, you were kind of just knocking on doors, and now I guess you're with a showroom or something like that? I'm or... not with a showroom. Okay. I'm but you never still... did the whole trade show thing. I've done trade shows. Um, I've done everything on my own. I work a little bit with... Uh, a friend uh, who is developing his own showroom, which is really cool. Harold oh my god, Coons that's so great! Studios. Yeah, he's great. He's like uh, repping kind of young brands, so I'm working with him a little bit. Is he in New York? Yeah. You Wait, should what's talk his name? I was gonna say Harold. Yeah, Coon. Harold Coon. Yeah, he's awesome. maybe I should get him on here. <laughs> yeah, you should actually. That'd be great. Yeah, he knows he knows a lot about uh, the other end of things. Um, but yeah, I. I have actually like done everything myself since I started just like knocking on people's doors and cold calling you've had so much success with it that's great yeah I mean I haven't I haven't I mean obviously it ebbs and flows but yeah 
but um, showrooms are really tricky because most of them need you to be established up to a certain point before they bring you in. Um, that's something that also like people don't think of when they launch lines. They're like, I didn't think of it. Mm. I was just like, okay, if my stuff is good enough, a showroom will take me. And like yeah. again, it's all about dollars and cents. Like. They make their money based upon a percentage of your business. So if you're brand new and you're not doing a lot of business, they're not going to make enough money off of you to rep you. So um, a lot of people just do it themselves for a while or they like um, find other people to do it. Um, I've worked with in a couple of showroom environments for markets still doing my own sales and nothing was a great fit so far um it seemed to like make more sense to kind of do it on my own yeah um but i work with brand assembly a lot they're also like a, a great team of people for you to maybe talk to um and they do trade shows and they also have a large space in New York and they're launching it in other cities too that's essentially like a WeWork for brands oh my god I love that um yeah I love WeWork I think they're doing great things yeah they're super cool so I'll usually the last couple seasons I've like just set up shop there and shown out of there which is cool everyone is in charge of doing their own sales like Mm -hmm. people either have their own reps or they're doing it themselves but so you talk to all the buyers and everything yeah yeah but we're all there A lot of them, like, they don't always, you know, come through and and look at everything, but, like, we're all there together, which is really cool. Um, Because you make, like, friends that are other designers and kind of help help each other out, which is really nice. So great to have that network. Yeah, yeah, and it's cool, and, like, none of us are, you know, there's room for all of us to do really well, so... Like, it's no cool. one's seriously competing with each other. No. I mean, I'm, I'm sure some of the other brands are, maybe. It's never been an issue for <laughs> but me. But you're like, oh, well, not my problem. Yeah, because I do something really super niche. Um, yeah, so unique. <laughs> yeah, but um, that's what's nice is, like, I, you know, can help out my friend who's doing handbags, and, and we can, like, all work together and pool our resources and stuff. Yeah. Which have you guys thought about collaborating? I could see like the laser cutting on a bag. Yeah, I mean that's not something I've thought about too much, but I probably should <laughs> because it would maybe be a really couple cool. seasons down the line you could yeah, do something. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. It'd be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm really curious. How did you get linked up with free people? Um, Were you just selling in their store? No, they literally emailed me one day and wow. were like, we love the line. Can we come see it? And then they picked it up. Oh, that my God. Yeah. So, like, you didn't even, you weren't even like, this would be really cool for their assortment. Let me reach out to them. No. They just came straight to you. They came to me, and I didn't realize that they sold. Uh, third party. I knew they sold third party, but I didn't know what their denim assortment was like at all. I know that, like, they're linked with anthro and urban and Mm -hmm. i know that anthro sells um a good amount of higher end denim um but it's more on the basic side Mm -hmm. yeah i just didn't wasn't informed 
and they have a lot of great denim. So that's awesome. was a good fit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once I launched after the first season, people did start coming to me. And that's like always so exciting. Oh my God. That must have felt so amazing. Yeah. I've had a few really great stores that I work with just saw my stuff somewhere and, and contacted me. And that's the best because you're not like fighting for them to respond to your email. They actually have seen oh, what you do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's always really exciting because I still always feel like, like sometimes there's only five people paying attention to what I'm doing and I'm always like, this oh my god they see it yeah. sometimes they see it at saw it at another store and yeah they'll and be like shopping the market me. yeah and that's really exciting so that's still happening and hopefully will keep happening that's great <laughs> yeah. so they were just one season though the free people right yeah so far but that's really common um especially as you're new um yeah like you're the hot young talent they want to like rotate yeah but also so like sales schedule wise, mm-hmm. usually like I've just shipped my product to them. Okay. And as it's shipping and they're just getting it, I'm trying to sell my next season. Mm-hmm. But they don't know how the last season is going to do yet. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know all so, about that game. <laughs> yeah, so nine out of ten times, like stores don't pick up two seasons in a row until they've had you for a while mm-hmm. that's like the way it's been with everyone and I can't because you blame can't fault them. them for that yeah that's totally like you have to see Makes how sense. this sells before you pick it up again was it online or yeah we worked with them only online okay um which was an interesting strategy um did that make it a smaller quantity or a larger quantity I feel like it could go either way. Yeah, I think it could go either way because I don't really know what their quantities are like for um, other brands. Obviously, I only know like what yeah (laughs) what uh, was for us. Um, But it wasn't a humongous quantity, but it wasn't a small quantity either. So like it was good. That's great. It's kind of right where it needed to be. Yeah, yeah. Because honestly, if it's way too big. For you to handle the production side of things would have been a nightmare. It would have been a lot. Life. And I learned so much shipping to them. They're uh, people who have worked with Anthro Urban or Free People will know all about this, but they have their entire own language and handbooks and everything about very specific things that you have mm. to do to ship to them which is similar for a lot of other department stores. If you don't yeah. follow it by the code, do they just they, send it back? Uh, they can send it back if do they want you? to, they can charge you for it, uh, which is usually what happens. Um, so you have to be really, really on top of things. And that I realized sucks. during that whole process, like, you know, I have a, a freelance production assistant and myself and it turned into like, a thousand percent full-time job for me oh my god in addition to her just like making sure it got done perfectly yeah um because at the end of the day like my ass is the one that's on the line if it doesn't get done right so and you don't want to mess it up you know and like ruin future opportunities yeah so like i'm sitting in the factory making sure everything goes out right making sure the label is on oh my god like a x number of inches 
below the waistband on the left side of the garment or stuff like that. Yeah. But, like, you got to do it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. But it's it like was, a badge of honor, though. Yeah, it was really good. Um, really good. We had some, like, production fiascos that happened. Over the course of getting that together? Yeah. (laughs) Oh no, that's like exactly what you don't want. Yeah, but everyone says like, this happens. It always happens to everyone. You can prepare so much and you can't. It's like Meyer's Law, right? I think it's like, what can go wrong will go wrong. Yeah, and it's 100% true. (laughs) It's was crazy yeah but like we got everything fixed and and now it's behind you yeah it was good so it's just you now still and the do you have the freelance persons with you yeah I am so you're still very much like in the trenches yes that's great yeah I will be for a long time because that like yeah no one's gonna do this for me yeah (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to launch the brand, so I have to do it. And there's a lot of people out there that are paying like teams to come on mm-hmm. before they have the sales to make up for it. But I don't have that luxury, so yeah. I mean, you have to be like it's me, scrappy. <laughs> yeah, I do, <laughs> but it's fine. Aww. It's alright. I feel like I mean, I want nothing more than to like start my own label, but even when the time comes that I've like saved money, I know that. I will be yeah, having to be scrappy. It's so much more than like you ever think it will be. That's what I hear. Yeah, like you can't, and that's, like I just said, you can't prepare enough for anything because mm-hmm. there's no linear path. Like there's just no predictability whatsoever in yeah. anything, and that's just the way it is. And so do you still do things on the side? Because I've, I've come across a couple of designers who will like do contract work or... I always imagine that, like, can be distracting, though. Like, yeah. you spend all this time doing your yeah. side gigs. I haven't yet. Um, it's probably something I'm going to try to start doing mm-hmm. uh, in the near future because I've just been too busy. Like, yeah. I'm constantly working. <laughs> and that's just the way it is. Like, I haven't even had time to entertain doing anything else, even if I wanted to. Yeah. Um, and so you get to a point where eventually like you have to start outsourcing things to people who are experts in mm-hmm. other areas because like I said as much as I can hustle like I'm not a publicist I'm not a production yeah. person uh, I'm not a salesperson I'm a designer at the end of the day I'm not a business person. I'm becoming all of these things and I can wear those hats as much as I want, but you need someone at the end of the day giving 110% to like just that area. Experts are great. Yes. (laughs) They really are. They are. They're expensive, but they're great. And you have to have them. And then that's it. It's just the way it is. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll figure it out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you're between New York and LA right I yeah s- do you are, you are you mostly living here or are you mostly yeah. living there yeah I'm technically a resident here okay. um I never got a home in LA so I have like my so you're always doing like Airbnb out there still yeah I do like longer term sublets okay uh 
now after the first few months of launching and I realized like, oh, I have to be in LA 50% of the year at least. <laughs> like it's, oh my God. You can't just go there for two weeks yeah. and do some stuff and then come back. Like it doesn't ever work that way. So I usually do like development and sampling and production out there. And then I come back here for market um, sales and, and press previews and all that are usually like a few months. Okay. And then I go back. So pretty much all your development and like manufacturing is out in LA. Yeah, it has been up until recently. I started... Because I know you would do other like cut and sew, right? Yeah, yeah. We've been doing everything in LA. And then recently over the past like five months, I've started trying to work with some more factories here. And it's just been a lot of trial and error. Um, What is the difference you, you notice between like manufacturing? I'm sure there's like a different approach, right? Yeah, there's a lot... There's a lot of machine denim specific machinery that the factories don't have here. Um, okay. Well, like you said, it's impossible here. Or basically, yeah, I've you definitely can heard do that it, a lot. But it takes a lot. You have to talk to a zillion factories before you find the ones that yeah. do have the machinery, and even the ones that do still don't have as much as they have in LA. Like when you're making jeans and you're only making jeans, mm-hmm. you have machines that do gene specific things um which are awesome but if you're a factory that does a little bit of denim and mostly you make silk dresses for people you're not Mm going to have those machines yeah of course um so that's a big part of it the other thing is like wash houses there's literally two wash houses on the entire east coast um oh my god that's so funny yeah and everything else is in LA when I was interning back in school there was this one designer I worked for and they had wanted to do denim for a long time Mm -hmm. and they manufactured in New York and they like were having a hard time finding where to go and I remember there was this one day that like the head designer tasked (laughs) the assistant designer with finding a wash house oh man like where to wash the denim yeah she was like there's like only one and they were like yeah. no that's not acceptable there has to be more <laughs> it's crazy because it, it what's funny is like we have so many other resources that the fashion industry here the garment industry is incredible yeah it's way more diverse and far-reaching than LA but just for denim like just is not being done here there is I just heard about a second wash house here I thought there was only one too um, and even they don't have like a huge capacity to do huge production. So mm-hmm. even I'm at the point now where like we could do small production here, but mm-hmm. we'd still probably take the wash to LA. So you um, haven't started the denim production here. I've done some samples here. Oh, basically. okay. Um, we've had some like press requests to make things for certain people oh, that makes um, sense. where I'm making like, like if you're here you just need yeah, to get it done one or two jackets so I just do it yeah here um, and the sewers are there's a lot of things that people are a lot better at here which is cool but you pay for it <laughs> that's the other yeah it's definitely not cheap thing. to manufacture yeah it's not cheap anywhere but it's cheaper in LA it's oh, like, it's cheaper over yeah, there than it is yeah, here? Yeah, 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 Well, that's good. Yes. Yeah. Not cheap, but cheaper. Cheaper if you're doing, uh, well, small production and large production. Okay. But in New York, 
Um, in LA, the units are higher. So like everyone's doing large production out there and a lot of people are doing like samples and small production here. So it's really difficult to do small production in LA. It's oh, easy okay. to do here. It will cost you. Definitely costs you a bit. Yeah, it costs a lot, but it's it's like doable here. In LA, like if you're making under 50 units for a production run, which is the lowest. I mean, most factories will say two to 300 pieces, and if you don't have that, they don't. They won't even talk to you. So how did you get through the first season? Uh, if you were just, I mean, did you make the minimum and? I made a lot of stuff. Are you still holding on to that stuff? Yeah, I have stock. <laughs> We're selling it. That's good. Um, yeah, it's for um, on your website. For sale on my website. Do you do a lot of that, like direct to consumer stuff? Not that much. Mostly yet. Like in retail. Yeah, it's picking up a little bit. I find that people just like don't know about us yet. So the people yeah. that do know about us are the ones purchasing, um, and they're like repeat customers, which is yeah. cool. But yeah, people just like don't really know we exist yet. <laughs> Sorry, right. you'll um, get there. Yeah, and then we're working. Uh, we've been distributing it out to uh, stores too. Like still, because what's the other thing I love about denim is it's kind of seasonless. So even oh, even totally. though it was a season, um, it like this jacket, which is like what I have a bunch of, and I have you know oh my god variations like we make this jacket every single season yeah. and we make it in different prints and so i'm looking at it more. i love this thank you yeah i love the embossing i just think it's Thanks. so rad yeah it's very special so to me it's almost like instead of doing spring 16 fall fall 16 spring 17 i look at it almost as like an archive of prints that i'm building because okay. that we add silhouettes each mm -hmm. season but we don't take any away this is like the classic jacket and it will always be this trucker jacket nothing else needs to happen to it like yeah it's a classic piece that will always be in the line and, and that's it how ages. it is it's gonna look so great yeah with the yeah. tears yeah it's, a, it's very exciting there's nothing better than like really old just like beat up denim jacket mm -hmm. i love that yeah it's great and we're not i'm not trying to replicate that at all i actually like i want people to buy things feeling relatively new mm -hmm. and like wear them mm -hmm. um we don't do any crazy washes or anything this jacket i've been wearing for a couple of years so it's starting to get those awesome like creases and and stuff which is great it's just so much more authentic i think yeah you I know just... than trying to like manufacture that yeah there yeah and that's kind of why like the raw denim has such a movement behind it too because people yeah. love to wear in their own garments and then um we don't do anything raw but we kind of lightly wash it and then and then it's up to you to like bring it into its own and give it a life which is which is really neat yeah it's really cool yeah. Thanks. Um what season is this from? This is from this last is the year, first right? Season. This is the first season. Yeah, but like people oh, wow. are still buying these from me. Um I mean and they should be because it's like a classic thing. But all the shapes too, the like geometric shapes feel like very relevant right now. <laughs> Just like the it almost has like a post internet vibe, you know, like the post internet art movement with like all yeah. the floating like things. Yeah, yeah, like it, yeah. It kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Yeah, that's kind of how things work too, because I usually look at reference points from like 
a million years ago. Like, mm-hmm. this collection and these prints were inspired by, like, Art Deco and Art Deco revivals. So, like, the Art Deco revivals in the 50s and the 80s. Oh, cool. And then doing it now. So it's, like, gone through a few different decades in my brain before it makes it onto the garment. Um, so I try to make things that feel, like, relevant but, like, remind you of something at yeah. the same time. And people always uh, see different things and get different reference points for the prints, which is, like, so cool. Yeah. It's like that with music, too. Yeah. You, know, you listen to lyrics and, like, can be taken so many different yeah. Different directions. Like we have this one print that I actually just brought back that I did a few seasons ago. And um, it was based upon uh, the work of an artist, Nikki Descent Fowl, um, who was really active in like the 60s and 70s and kind of like an early feminist. Oh, cool. And one of my friends was like, this reminds me of Lizzie McGuire and makes me like oh my God, feel all stop. these feelings of that era. And I'm like, I love that. <laughs> what it was intended to evoke maybe evoked that for some people but yeah. also evoked something totally oh different. Oh my god. I love that they said Lizzie McGuire. Yeah. That was literally <laughs> like my childhood. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so it probably crept in there yeah. accidentally. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah, but it's neat. It's like a like a Rorschach test kind yeah, of. Yeah, exactly. Which is why prints are so fantastic because yeah. like you can do whatever you want and it's always going to be interpreted in a thousand ways yeah for sure yeah now you're i assume getting ready or working on spring 19 right that's or starting yeah you know i'm actually shifting things i've been shifting things over the last year from doing less like collection based upon timing and probably shifting more to doing product drops oh my god I love that that's great yeah and I'm almost at the point where I'm just like fuck the season thing Mm -hmm. because I don't think it makes sense I think it makes sense for certain people but for denim it really doesn't make a lot of sense um so what I'm you know while developing like a couple of new pieces what i'm also trying to do is like do product drops and build kind of like a core contingency of styles that we keep carrying over cool um because now that we've gotten so many great things in the line like we have these silhouettes in these pieces that stores want to order every season and we're not changing them because they don't need to be changed yeah um so I've had some seasons where I tried to like reinvent the wheel uh, for spring, for fall, for whatever. And then the retailers just wanted to like pick up like those classic carryover pieces anyway. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, which is funny. So um, I'm just kind of trying to figure out where we fit into all of that right now. Um, and just like working on less on the fashion-specific, industry-specific, seasonal calendar. Okay. And more upon, like, what our customer will respond to, what works for our customer. And your brand, just as a whole. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't don't know that the season thing, like, makes full sense. 
I think we're doing it a little bit, but we're kind of trying to find my own response to it, which is like develop some newness and Mm -hmm. also like really keep feeding into like the core pieces. I think when you're new, like you can develop new collections each season and 90% of the people that you want to see them won't even see them. So like as a new brand, it doesn't make any sense to develop like entirely new product ranges every season yeah it's just so much on your plate especially if you're going to be left over with like a lot of inventory but people think you're supposed to do it that way and I thought I was supposed to do it that way and then Mm -hmm. after like you know two years of it I was like this actually makes no sense there's an importance to doing new seasonal development Mm -hmm. for sure and offering new products but it doesn't have to be the entire collection every yeah. season. Well, like you said, if you can like push both balls forward at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so that is kind of my path. Cool. And hopefully more That's people great. can adopt it. You can develop a thousand new SKUs and like a store will pick up the same ones that you were already offering. And you're like, cool. I That's just so spent, disappointing. <laughs> I just spent all that money on new development and... It didn't go anywhere. I think that's what happens with like, I feel like this with like Off-White, right? Mm -hmm. So like I'm referencing a lot of streetwear because that's like what I'm working in right now. And I'll go into stores and like you see on the runway, they have these like big collections and he's like doing like serious ready to wear and like you go into the store and you see the bomber jacket with the X or like the stripes. He's not selling those runway pieces. Yeah. Um, he's selling sweatpants and yeah. and graphic hoodies and stuff, which is awesome. But then what happens is because they do those big elaborate runway shows, everyone else thinks like that's how that's what I'm supposed to be doing too. Mm, yeah, and maybe doesn't realize that those pieces are for show and like ninety percent of them are not getting picked up or not getting produced. It's really just for like ego. Yeah, and if you can af- like if you can afford to do these big, giant collections each season, like go for it. But if it doesn't make sense for your business, and I think a lot of brands, even larger brands, it doesn't make sense for their business. Like, why are we all fooling ourselves into thinking that this is the right way? Yeah, it's another example of the industry just like eating itself because we're not adapting. Yeah. And sooner or later, like, the rug is going to be pulled out from underneath all of us. And if we don't adapt to the way people are really consuming things, like, everyone's going to go out of business. But, like, people have a lot to learn from streetwear. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, these product drops and I love that you're doing that. Yeah, like, look at what Supreme does. I mean, yeah, they really took off, you know. They distanced themselves from their original fan base a bit but like (laughs) you know everyone grows up I guess yes it's insane yeah but it works I mean it really works we're in this like internet culture yeah where things are being consumed super fast and um your whole collection goes up on the internet and everyone sees it and then it's old already I was talking to someone actually about how fast the internet is like the other day there's um 
this app or it's like the Google Arts and Culture app. Did you see mm-hmm. people doing like the face matching with I the did. artwork? That thing lasted. <laughs> did you? Some of them yeah, were hysterical. Yeah, literally like a week. Yeah. It was like massive, and then less than a week later, like no one was doing it. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It all moves so fast. Yeah, and I don't think clothes should be consumed that way at all. Yeah, I think it's really bad. I think garments should be slow. Like people should buy things that they want forever. Yeah. Get back to the fashion roots a little bit. Yeah. I'm not interested in making the newest thing five times a year for it to be old again in six months. Yeah. It's wasteful. It's like, I'm not making garbage fashion. (laughs) Yeah, of course. You want something you can be proud of. Yeah. So then what, I mean, do you know what the logistics of like the drop would look like for you? If it be no, I don't yet. <laughs> I think like right now what I'm trying to do is mm-hmm. work with retailers on their schedule mm-hmm. and work with our customers as we're building that base on our own schedule um, and make sure nothing's conflicting between the two. Um, so like we don't mark things down until the stores mark it down. A lot of stores we work with will... We have a, a couple of stores that are bringing in stuff like in, in between seasons. Yeah, they're like just, the little boutiques. Yeah, and that's great. That's kind of how yeah. I think it should be. Um, again, just like moving away from we have to have new product in in um, you know summer for fall and winter spring for and spring. winter. It makes no sense. Like we're delivering. Yeah jean pants in august when it's 100 degrees outside that's literally something i never understood even as like a kid in high school in a retail shop we'd get all our shorts and it was like i think january 2nd yeah and i was like what yeah no one's buying this stuff why do we have tank tops on the floor right now yeah and then by the time people are ready to buy it and it's actually seasonally appropriate it has to be marked down Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not the only person talking about how like ass backwards this is. Yeah, people are talking about it. We're just no one's sitting down and making the changes that need to be made. I yeah. don't know what it's going to take for that to happen. Everyone's talking. Everyone's saying things need to change, and like yeah, not a lot of changes taking place. But like I feel like there's like a buzz yeah you know? I think it will and I think being like a young person like trying to grow up in the industry now is really great because like we're all gonna change the industry together yeah I think our generation definitely wants to make changes um not just in fashion like politically socially yeah. x y and z like there might not be a lot happening right now but in like 20 years it's gonna be really cool to see I agree where things are at they hate us because they ain't us. Yeah. <laughs> We're great. <laughs> yeah, we are. I've seen online, and honestly, I don't think they're specially made. I think it's just like men wearing women's clothes, but I've seen mm-hmm. guys wearing some of the jackets. Yeah. And I was wondering if that's ever something you'd explore. Or like maybe blending the brand where it's like clearly the women's stuff and then more of like a unisex or... If that's yeah. anything you've like explored, it's happening. Okay, um, I'm getting there. Cool. Uh, 
I developed our first official like men's jacket for a men's fit. That's great. Um, what's happened is like I have a lot of friends that are guys. Um, these clothes, a lot of them fit very boyishly because they were based upon vintage menswear garments because I wear a lot You're of menswear. There. Yeah, and I think that men's fits on girls a lot of the time look cooler than women's fits on girls. Actually, so, I even think sometimes it looks better on the girls Yeah, than on the men itself. Yeah, it does. It does sometimes. Um, I'm all about that. I own like a ton of menswear. Um, the jeans I'm wearing, which are part of the line now. Um, oh, there's the wide legs? Yeah, the wide oh, legs were based upon a men's pant. And oh, then we cool. like tailored them more in fittings. This jacket was initially based off of a vintage men's jacket cool um so things like so my guy friends started trying things on and were like oh these fit me really well also <laughs> and started buying stuff so um oh that's probably, so rad yeah probably the guys you see images of wearing stuff are just my friends who have bought them and then like their friends have started buying them too which is cool um and so I do like the idea of having like things be more gender fluid, but realistically, like women have different sizing constraints yeah. than men. So I'm hoping to launch these embossed jackets in men's sizing too and kind of go cool. from there. But it's again gonna be the sort of thing that I'm probably going to have to like drop on my own because the stores want to see a full menswear mm -hmm. collection as big as our women's wear collection before. It's too much pressure. Yeah, not all of the stores. Like I think a lot of um, probably some small guys will, will work with us, which is cool. Um, That's always great. Yeah. Those boutiques are really awesome. I always felt like that was like a really cool way to go. Yeah. So I'll, I'll see what happens with that. I'll keep you updated. Yeah, it's I'd kind of been know. something in the back of my mind. I mean, I've always wanted to do menswear as well. There's honestly so much opportunity in there too. Like yeah. you went into denim because there's so much opportunity. I feel like that's another sector of the industry. Like, yeah, it's definitely. had a major spotlight on it recently, but mm -hmm. women's wear, I mean, you're lucky because you have such a niche product, but it can be so oversaturated. Yeah, it know? is. Um, and there's some there's some people doing awesome things in menswear right now. I actually posted a like the best photo of all time, which is like my friend's brother Chaz mm -hmm. and his mom Kim, who's wearing like a pair of my jeans. And, oh, I think I saw that one. Yeah, actually. and Chaz is wearing the jacket, and it's like the best. Oh my god, and that's happiest. the one that you made for a guy. Because I yeah. saw that and I was like, oh my god, this is a jacket for a guy. I wonder if this is a one-off. Yeah. And then I saw your friends at Pride and like the colorful ones. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god, this needs to be a thing. Yeah, they just like come over and put stuff on is usually what happens. And then uh. buy it. These wide legs have like been co-opted by like probably close to 10 dudes. Um, which is That's really so funny. funny. But I love it. They're such universal pants, though. Yeah. Yeah, you know? it's cool. And then we all, like, end up wearing all the same things at the same time. But they look totally different yeah. on, uh, on guys it, and girls. I mean, it changes um, everywhere. Yeah. So my last question for you. Mm -hmm. Drum roll. 
I love to ask people what music is inspiring them because I feel like for me that's such a source of inspiration you Mm -hmm. know and it's too easy to get sucked into the whole like algorithm thing and then just like listen all the same stuff all the time yeah so are there any songs in particular or artists that are inspiring you Uh, at the moment there always are um let's see let me think so I listen um Every day when I'm in LA, there's uh, a show on NPR there called Morning Becomes Eclectic, which is like the best three hours of music. They play like a huge range of uh, new releases, like everything from like house to indie to rap to like country. And, but it's, it's still like within a world that caters (laughs) to me for the most part. Um, So I listen to that a lot here and I was just thinking of like who I had heard on there that was releasing new stuff that was really exciting and I'm really excited about Jack White's new album. Um, oh my god, I didn't know he had anything new. Yeah. Oh, I it, love like, Jack just White. just came out. Yeah, he's, he's like... so crazy, but I love him. Yeah, the White Stripes are like one of my all-time favorite bands and um, his solo stuff has been... a a lot folkier yeah and this new record is like a bit more rock jack white which i'm so excited (laughs) rock jack white is coming back um so i'm really excited about that i know there's a new breeder song that's really cute that i don't know the title of um let me think we've been listening to this new group called sunflower bean that's really good and who else? I don't know. There's like a lot. I was listening to A Tribe Called Quest on my subway ride here. Oh, yeah. I know them. Yeah. They're, they're like good. one of my faves. I'm like always listening to them. It, it, it.